First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes what? Welcome to Then Comes What, a monthly show where we open up everything you wanted to know and some things you didn't about love, sex, marriage, children, manhood, womanhood, and more. everybody, welcome to Then Comes What. This is Nathan Alverson. I am, of course, your humble and obedient host. We are joined by three pastors. We've got Pastor Jacob Mensel, my old podcasting pal. How are we doing, Jake? Doing well. How are you? Fantastic, sir. And of course, we have Pastor Tim Bailey. Hello, Tim. Hey, Nate. And Pastor Max Sparrell. Hello. The latest addition to the Then Comes What family of podcasters. Then comes Pastor Correll. <laughs> That's a definite what. <laughs> then comes what? What? Today's question comes to us by popular demand. I had a lot of people, we had a lot of people ask us after we did our episode, the first one that Max was kind enough to appear on, where we talked about how to have the talk, how to talk about the birds and the bees. You can listen to that episode for a lot of good answers to that question. But we had a lot of people ask, okay, how do we protect our children sexually? How do we keep them safe from sexual abuse? And... The funny thing about that is if you if you listen to that episode, you'll remember that we actually recorded an episode, scrapped it because we didn't like it, re-recorded an episode. We actually talked about that some on the first episode, mm. the first version, Yeah. but our conversation just went in a different direction. It was a direction that we liked, that I liked, so we, you know, we kept it in the podcast, but we always wanted to come back and talk about this. So we're one step behind you or one step ahead of you. Either way, we want to talk about that in today's episode. How do you protect your children sexually. Very important, if not the most important thing, is that you have to believe in sin. And so being naive about sin is automatically going to put your children at risk. Do you think that there's people, I'm I'm sure most people listening probably think, well, okay, what are you talking about? I believe in sin. I don't know that any of us really understand how pervasive and how to the the bone and marrow and how to the the, uh, DNA strand our sin is. But it's, it's, it's in us, it's as fathers and mothers, it's in our children, each of them, it's in our parents, it's in our siblings, our brothers and sisters, the aunts and uncles to our children, it's in church members around them, it's in Boy Scout leaders, Girl Scout leaders, and school teachers, and it exists pervasively, sin. Yeah. And so you have to start by believing that there's a threat. And that the threat is real. I, w- when you asked the question the way you did, it it reminded me of Martin Luther and his commentary on Galatians. He has this extended section where he talks about how our churches are full of hypothetical sinners, people who believe, or theoretical, I forget what the word is that he uses, people who believe in sin, generally, people who believe in the idea of sin and the idea of forgiveness, but don't know that they're real sinners or can't accept or embrace the fact that they're, they'll go up, they'll go so far as to admit that I'm a sinner. Of course, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. But they can't admit the fact that they're real sinners. And then when they do, whenever they're faced with that fact, then they just get depressed. They don't know how to deal with the fact that they are real sinners. And I think that a large part of the problem is that our churches are full of hypothetical sinners, theoretical sinners, who have never really looked deep into the face of their own sin and depravity. Well, this is a particularly painful issue to bring that into because I feel like 
I'm thinking of the people that act- I've actually had people come up to me and say, hey, are you going to do sexual, how to protect children sexually? And it was mostly moms and they were mostly terrified. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were most, yeah. they were just, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to think about this. This is so scary to think about my children being sexually abused or taken advantage of sexually or just becoming sexually mm-hmm. twisted. It feels, ugh. you almost have a little sympathy for, you don't really, but you almost want to say you have a little sympathy for the people that only believe in hypothetical sin because it is so scary to actually think about the pervasiveness and nastiness and well, all-encompassing yeah. nature of this particular sin. Well, that's why I wanted to actually, as Max was beginning, I, I was thinking maybe our first answer to this question should be you can't. That's an interesting statement. You better open that up. Well, sin is so pervasive and so deep. And sexuality is so ontological. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's not forget that it's not just sin that we're talking about yeah. that's in all of us. It is sexual sin. Yeah. And in all, all of us, us are yep. sexual. Yes, exactly. Yep. I want to tell two stories. One story is about a mother who grew up being raped by her father and who was absolutely determined to keep any harm from coming to her children sexually. And I think that a lot of times, you know, if you look at the at the prevalence of, of the sexual predatory behavior towards children in our culture today, anybody that looks at the statistics, they're horrifying. And I don't think those statistics are any different in the church than outside of the church. And so you think about a lot of mothers whose whole life calling is to protect their children, you know, first in the womb, then at the breast, then with toddlers, child protective services. They live in fear of them coming and alienating their children or taking their children from them. And so, of course, mothers are going to be petrified and they're going to want to know the answer because what a mother wants to know is the answer. She wants to know which additives are going to cause her child to go cross-eyed, you know. Which and, vaccinations are going to make yeah, them autistic. Yeah, which make them autistic or, or like Donald Trump or something. I don't know what those additives do to our <laughs> kids, but anyhow. And so, I want us to be very sympathetic to the desperate pleas on their behalf to tell them what to do, what to say, how to protect their children. Yeah. And I think one of the first things we have to say to them is, there's nothing more certain to cause your children to be molested than if you spend your life trying to protect them from being molested. It's counterintuitive, but I explain it this way. If you've grown up being beaten by your father, say he gets drunk and he beats you, statistically, it's quite likely that you will end up beating your children. Why? Is it because you like being beaten? No, it's because those children who grow up to be fathers, the one thing you know that they have committed in their mind is that they will never, ever, ever hit their children out of anger, okay? And so, they have a child, and they see that they're as capable of hitting their child out of anger as their father did to them as they were growing up. And the one thing above all other things they're committed to doing is never hitting their child out of anger. Well, what that does is, is it, it's, it's, it's the surest way of making sure they hit their children out of anger because they're trying to suppress the natural irritations and, and discipline that a father who isn't living in, in fear of what he's capable of is going to do with his children. 
he's not going to want them yelling while he's trying to like watch a football game. And so he's going to swat them. Would you shut up? Right? And everybody's, oh, Pastor Bailey said, shut up. Shut up. There, I said it again. <laughs> you know, in other words, the rough and tumble life of a real home with a real dad and a real mother and real brothers and real sisters is all being suppressed to the goal of there never being any possibility of violating that boundary that must not be violated, which is I will never hit my child out of anger until that one day. Where after years of putting up with things that that father should never have put up with with his children, his child drives him just past the point of his ability to restrain himself, and he beats his son. And the reason he does it is that God does not intend our homes to be ordered around avoiding one sin. Sin is pervasive in our homes, and we have to be theological about it, and it's very hard for a mother of a boy who reaches puberty to be theological about her son's sin. It freaks her out. Well, that, that's the thing that people have to realize about even that home. Even if he succeeds in never, ever, ever, ever hitting his son out of anger, is that he's committed a different kind of abuse. Which right? is what? Open that up. It, well, by allowing his home to be defined by this one sin... He creates another sin, which is his failure to discipline his son all yeah, the times yeah, yeah, and ways that, and places that he needs yeah, to yeah. do it. And so it's just a different kind of mm-hmm. abuse. Mm-hmm. It's the polar opposite. It's the inverse, but it's not health. It's not faith. It's not godliness. It's a home held hostage. Yeah. By the sin of, of abuse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you just can't let a sin like that or the fear of it define any aspect of your home. Okay. So... What is the first thing you absolutely must do to protect your children sexually? And what's the answer? David said, you need to have a, so- a home which takes sin seriously and expects it, right? That's what you said. Yes. Okay, now give another answer because there's like 50 million answers to the one thing you absolutely must do. And what you said is true. You absolutely must have a home. Well, you must, have, and you must have the reality of sin that's not... Not yeah, a ignored construct that you your children's sins, your own sins, uh, as is appropriate. Your children should know that you have sins, mm-hmm. and you should confess to your children as is appropriate your sins, especially if the sin you sin was against them or the sin you sin was against your wife or husband in front of them to make sure that they understand that this was wrong, that you do struggle with sin. And that you love your husband or you love your wife or you love your children and you shouldn't have done it. And that you are humble enough to come back and you ask for forgiveness. And Yeah, but I'm telling you, a young mother listening to this is going to say, just come on, guys, get to sex. Okay, fine. And let's why? Get to sex. Why does she want to get to sex? Let's, let's name why she wants to do that. She's afraid. Why is she afraid? Because sex is destructive. When it's... I don't know. I think that she doesn't want her son to be sexual because she doesn't like her son. She doesn't like the reality that her son has the potential to be sexual because if he has the potential to be sexual, then he has the potential to look at pornography. He has the potential to get a girl pregnant. He has the potential to do all kinds of sins associated with his sexuality. Which keeps her from being able to brag about what a great son she has. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps, uh, tears down the family name instead of building it up. 
Well, and th- this is why I think a large part of the answer to the question is sort of the same as the answer to the discipline and abuse question. What you learn is you learn healthy discipline and you learn to practice healthy discipline. Okay, okay. And what you have to do here is you have to learn how to have healthy okay. I- intimacy, healthy sexuality in your home. So not Nathan, ruled by fear. But So that's where I wanted to get. That is the most important mm-hmm. way to avoid sexual sin. Yeah. The kind of mother who is psycho about protecting her children sexually is absolutely going to harm them sexually. Okay. Yeah. Psycho disproportionate fear. It will create all the wrong voids that it will need to absolutely be filled in all produce. the wrong ways. Yes. And so now she's really going to be despairing because we weren't willing to talk about sex. And when we do talk about it, we tell her that her fear is going to produce the abuse of her children. So, but I think, but I think that's an important point to make also because I think so much of perversion begins as an inordinate desire for something. You know, a son wishes that his father would be closer to him. So he's homosexual. And he becomes wistful about that. Mm-hmm. And he becomes erotic. He eroticizes mm-hmm. masculine affection because he has none of it in his life. Somebody mm-hmm. wishes that they had discipline from their parents and it becomes wistful and then it becomes erotic and then it becomes mm-hmm. BDSM. Perversion grows in stank, dark environments. Right. If we're going to inoculate our children against sexual sin, the only way to do it is through beauty. That's the best inoculation against the perverse, is if they grow up seeing us pinch our wife's bottom and seeing our wife turn around and give us a full frontal hug and seeing them tousle our hair when we come home from work. Now, people might be uncomfortable with the specifics that I'm giving. And so I say, okay, supply your own. But your inoculation against sexual perversion and sin is sexual beauty and love. I tell men about pornography that I and other men are always going to be inoculated against pornography if we are actively loving our wives each day. Pornography is a temptation to a man who has stopped loving his wife. Because you can't love your wife and then look at strange flesh because you take it personally that your wife is being violated by that. She's having to compete with something that she should never have to compete with. So I really do believe that in the olden days, this stuff was just taken for granted. And everybody cheered when they went off and made love. And it wasn't perverse at all. And guess what? Through that and through the barn animals and through just the, 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 what's the word that begins, I think, with an E? The, the normal, not worth commenting about. What's that word? Ubiquity? No, not the ubiquity, but the, uh, the banality. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, it's just banal. Mm-hmm. It's just like so, so normal. That, I believe, is what these young mothers need to hear is they need to show their children without being hackneyed and stupid the way Doug Phillips would do it in his catalogs, okay? They need to show their children, you know, those catalogs where they had frilly things around the gifts you could buy for your little girl, bo- girls and, and, and then slingshots for the boy. You know, in other words, we're always going to be tempted 
when we hear that what our children need is to see healthy sexuality, to then do healthy sexuality and like learn how to wear garter belts, you know, and have people over to our house and teach women how to have sex under the dining room table. Anybody remember Anita Bryant? You know, she had The Total Woman and it was like you were supposed, you remember The Total Woman? Yeah. She had this book that was huge in Christian circles of how Christian women could make themselves sexy for their husbands. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stopping being so prudish and so uptight about unhealthy, sinful, perverse sexuality that we don't allow the blossoming of normal, almost banal, average. That's what you said. Mm-hmm. That's what you said. That's how you describe the beauty of a newlywed bed is that it's just like not straining at anything. Mm-hmm. It's just natural. But I just, I think that's hard to do because, well, this is so obvious to say, but I think there is so much of corruption mm-hmm. that I, look, by God's grace, me and my wife have a good thing going, but you ask me about it and there's such an association mm-hmm. between sex and corruption, between sex mm-hmm. and death and decay and degradation that you put the spotlight on me and I want to step out of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about pinching someone's bottom even or how lovely her hair is because even those things in our culture feel yeah, gross. But, listen, but those things aren't those things in our culture are lies. Mm-hmm. But they're not lies in the Christian marriage and they're not lies in the Christian home. And they're not lies because I don't want to go right to having children, mm-hmm. but I want to say that what our children need to see to to make them to to have what's correct in front of them. Tim says pinching your wife's bottom. But what that is, it's it's just fertility. It is a fertile marriage. It's a fertile home. And what would be the opposite of it? Sterility. And we have lots of homes, Christian homes, that demonstrate sterility, and not just in the fact that they don't have children. Some of them have children and still have sterility. And where there's sterility, there will have to be the faking of fertility, which it always comes out as eroticism. Yes. Right. Instead of instead of joyful love, playful love, love that is uh, spontaneous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. With a with a certain specific and guaranteed mixture of difficulty and and suffering and fighting and all those other kinds of things. But but even that is part of the fertility of your marriage because you're two sinners cohabiting. You're two sinners in marriage. And if you're really processing your lives together and growing in your love for one another, there's going to be fighting, and there's going to also be this wonderful, fertile environment around you that people will enjoy. That that even not not just your children, but that other people who come into your house, you're not going to pinch your wife's bottom in front of you know the pastor when he comes over. But (laughs) the fact of the matter is, they're going to know that this house has has a fertile love in it. Yeah, let's remember that we're talking about how to protect our children. I'm not mm. arguing that my wife should come up to me and tousle my hair in front of all the women of the church. That's, that's disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's disgusting because it's so obvious that the point isn't that my wife loves me, but that all the women know that she loves me and that I love her. Yes. Okay. And therefore that there's no, actually no real love or intimacy. Absolutely. In your, yeah, I've seen this with men home. before who's made great 
protestations about their wives to everybody about is that the and what they're well, actually how, doing how is wonderful beautiful and how and, often how hot she is yes and yeah. they and will I, actually talk about and that. annie and i look and at each other and we say methinks thou dost protest too much yeah what they're all proclaiming is actually that their own impotence or That's the right. impotence yeah. of their marriage yeah. bed but i want to get back because what we're trying to do is help a young mother to protect her children and i want to say we're not talking about public life, we're talking about domestic life. And there should never be any embarrassment about pinching your wife's bottom in domestic life. There shouldn't be any hesitation about, uh, your children live with you. They smell the bathroom when you get done, okay? You wash their underwear, you change their sheets, for heaven's sakes. We have an opportunity of showing the beauty of when a man loves a woman in our home. And that is going to acclimate our children to the good, which is always the principal prophylactic against the evil. And so if everybody's listening, well, I wouldn't want my husband pinching me in front of the children. It's like, woman, you don't begin to get it. You don't get it. Okay, now I don't mean to be snotty about this, but there are so many women who are so afraid of sexuality for all the reasons that Jake mentioned that they're going to try to suppress it. They're going to try to hide it. And this is not the way of protecting your children. It's the same with teenage daughters. When your daughter becomes a teenager, you as the father, if you want to protect your daughter, you need to hug her. You need to Tell her she's beautiful because she is. She's in springtime. You need to touch her. You need to hug her. You need to kiss her. That's the best way of keeping her from fornicating because she associates the beauty of her body with her father. And then when they get to the wedding and he gives her hand in marriage, she thinks, oh, okay, now I have my own man and my dad just transferred me. Now, again, I do not want the hackneyed. The first kiss of our daughter was when another homeschooling family, they met each other at a homeschooling conference, and then the first time they ever kissed anybody else was during the wedding ceremony performed by Uncle Ralph, who runs the Colorado Homeschooling Association, and it was just pure! It was pure! Yeah, you got to watch out for the old hackneyed bat. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I am actually channeling a case, a real case, I know, I know. where this was actually what was said. And my kids knew that the reason the daughter got married to that man that sh her father and mother were waxing elephant in homeschooling publications about their wedding, the reason was so that she could get away from her father, that she could get out of her father's home. They knew that because they knew the daughter. And so, look, there are so many ways of perverting what we're talking about, but it, is, it yet remains true that the best protection of our children is for us to live honestly, honestly. And that means let your husband be a man. Let his male sexuality be fixated on you. And you don't do that by being prissy and by, oh, oh, oh. Oh, don't do that. Joe, I've told you, don't do that in front of the children. Okay, I'm stopped. <laughs> well, I want to connect what you were just saying about teenage daughters to 
even protecting your younger kids. Because what you will also find to be true is that kids that grow up with healthy affection from their father or kids that grow up without it, they have this aching void that makes them vulnerable to a predator. And predators can sense that sort of thing. They become easy marks, right? A kid who has a healthy intimacy emotionally and physically with her father and her mother doesn't have the aching void that makes her hungry to go sit in everybody's lap, that makes her hungry, that that projects to the predator that this is a target that is easy and low-hanging fruit, that can respond when a creeper actually does something by going and telling her dad, something happened that made me uncomfortable. Why? I'm acclimated to healthy touch, so I know what unhealthy is. It makes me uncomfortable. I just intuitively told my dad that creepy man did a thing that made me uncomfortable, which has happened with me and my daughter. And I just think you can't underestimate the value of just simply loving your kids and being affectionate with them from a very young age and what that will do to help protect them. Let's talk about that for a second, because you're absolutely right. What men have to do is take back their families from their wives. Male leadership and sexuality must not be suppressed in the Christian home because God has made it very different from female sexuality and very different. Men have much higher tolerance. Most men much have a much higher tolerance for truthfulness in the inward parts, for objectivity, for directness, for pinching, for uh, sappy cards for everything that is healthy about sexuality, including with their children. You know, men are going to, who have confidence, you know, every woman can remove the last vestige of confidence of their husband if that's what they set out to do, but they're the women that Proverbs says they destroy their own house with their hands. But if a woman will give her husband confidence in leading the home sexually, And remember, that leadership sexually does not simply have to do with him making love to his wife. It has to do with him introducing his sons to manhood, and he introduces his daughters to womanhood. And he does that partly by getting his wife not to be so uptight about these things and to to go ahead and teach their daughter what it is to be a woman. And so I I really want to say, in a healthy home, the father is jealous over his family sexually. And he is determined that he is going to be the one that sets the pattern of thought and the patterns of feeling in his children about their own manhood and womanhood and about the nature of sexuality and intimacy. Mm -hmm. And that is such an inoculation against the perversion of the world because all the perversions live in a manless culture. Now, I know that everybody would say, oh, no, it's men that are always doing the bad things. And I don't know how to reassure Christian mothers that no. Actually, it's men that are doing all the good things. It's mothers who try to shut them down that keep them from doing good things. In other words, it's not just men that are bad sexually. Women are bad sexually too. And what we need is fathers to take back their home, their children, their marriage, and say, look, I am going to set the pattern, the standard for what health is in my home and with my children. And to have the confidence to do it and have a wife that says, okay, now I'm safe. Because that's the safety. God intends the father to protect his, his home and his wife. You know, men, I mean, let's be honest here. Okay, you ready? Everybody's going to be honest. Okay. Look, does a married Christian man who's a pastor have to protect his wife from adultery? 
Yep. <laughs> we all know this is true. Mm-hmm. And you cannot protect your children with your husband AWOL. And you might cry when you hear me say that. But there are real consequences to marrying a man who's AWOL. And those of you who have a chance of resurrecting your husband back to the dignity of the position God gave him, you better do it because you may be capable of committing adultery. And you want a husband who's going to see that capacity and who is going to absolutely handle it just the way you're horror-stricken that he might. (laughs) Now, open that up because this is another aspect of safety. You know, how safe is a child of a mother who's committing adultery? Completely vulnerable. And are we capable of committing a daughter? Yes. Yes. And is our wife? Yes. Yep. So much of even discipline issues in children can and should be dealt with by addressing the marriage at the center of that home, right? So when you see kids in your church who are obnoxious, who are all over the place, who are desperate for attention, whatever it is. There are things that you should know or begin to interpret when it's consistent across all the, some, some, fam, some kids are harder than others, that kind of thing happens. But when it's across the board, it tells you something about the nature of that home. Happy marriages produce happy children. Healthy marriages produce healthy children. And that's total health, not just sexually healthy. And so, so much, when, when the marriage goes out of whack, when there's adultery, when there are things that are happening that are being pushed or hidden or stuck under the surface or whatever, when mom and dad are fighting, everybody in the house feels that and is ruled by it, even if it's a big secret that nobody knows about public, like nobody knows the details, but it's felt and it's communicated and it begins to manifest itself in everyone's lives and everyone becomes vulnerable because the heart and the foundation of that home, that marriage is being destroyed. Because mom and dad are not being faithful to their vows and they're not loving one another and they're not committed to one another. You know, and you have a situation where Isaac and Rebecca have favorites, okay? And then you look at the horrors that come out of that. Mm -hmm. In the story of Jacob and Esau, I think so often young mothers who have sinned themselves sexually, but often it's a secret and it's Mm -hmm. a secret that they vowed they're going to keep to their graves. We'll fixate on trying to protect things sexually, not seeing what you just said, which is, it's holistic, you know? Yeah. It's interrelated. Sex is not just sex. Yep. Sex is identity. Sex is love. Sex is anger. Sex is, you just never stop dealing with sex until you die. And so, to fixate on protecting our children sexually and to take that to be atomistic about it, you know, that you can break it down and you can just, if I can just control that area, I think I can handle my children sinning in other areas, but not that area. And inevitably, Mm -hmm. they'll fail. Yep. Earlier, Tim was talking about how the role of a father in the home, a husband in the home, and how it was the primary role. I don't think you used that word, but you were basically saying that it's going to rise or fall over whether he does what he needs to do, right? And is what God made him to be. And so then you said something about how, interestingly, men are more uh, guilty of predation than women. And it just made my mind to think about uh, what the culture, what the world would say is the reason why men are more guilty of predation is because men are pigs, are awful. Yeah. But the reality is it just it just 
you know, my little epiphany there as you were talking was that men are more guilty because they are the ones who hold the key to this in their homes. And and they'll either do what they're supposed to do, or they'll do nothing, which is not what they're supposed to do, or they'll become evil perpetrators. They will do good or they will do evil. evil. Yes. And it's inescapable and that they will be doing one or the other. And it's inescapable yeah. that they will be seen as the primary perpetrators because, because they are the primary that's perpetrators right. because Always. they are responsible in the in the long run. That's my whole thing that I was trying yeah, to get Yeah, it's at. like what we were talking about. I don't know when we were talking about it. Maybe it was off mic or maybe I don't know what, but just the reality that every home is defined by the father even when he's not there, mm-hmm. right? His mm-hmm. absence, even the... You know, um, I can imagine... I mean, it's very hard to talk about these things because all of us are extremely aware of those things that must not be said right now yep. on air. And yet, often those are the things that we turn off the recorders and we'll look at each other and we'll say those things to each other. Mm-hmm. And we'll know that we rob the people listening of the truths they most needed to know, okay? And one of those truths is male sexuality is different than female sexuality. Mm-hmm. Nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue that testosterone doesn't do things to men. Mm-hmm. It makes them take initiative. Predators generally take initiative. Generally, the one that takes initiative is the man. Generally, the man has more testosterone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- these are the things we're never supposed to say, but I want to m- make it very clear that in all of our years of working as pastors, we have no absence of women exactly. who are guilty of sexual sin. Yep. Yep. And we will not work with cases of incest and cases of child sexual abuse ever without having to confront a woman with almost the most horrible sin that is committed in that relationship. And so I think about how often we have had to confront mothers and grandmothers about allowing their husbands to rape their children because they didn't want it coming out into the open. They were worried about their child having to testify in court because they were worried how they'd support their family if their husband went to prison, because what would the people at church say? They and were happy for their husband to have another outlet besides Yeah, themselves. because they don't want to have sex with their husband. Yep. And so their, their husband goes off and does things that they plead innocence and, and, ignorance. and ignorance about, you yep. know? So I want to say something here. One of the most frequent warnings I have given men who are in the, in the ministry, and I give it to men in the ministry for a particular reason, because I think men that are in the ministry often are most tempted, and this is the warning I give them. I say, listen, if you're going to fall into adultery, you're usually, as a pastor, not going to fall into adultery because of lust. What you're going to do is you're going to commit adultery because of compassion, because God has wired you to care for the needy and the oppressed and the depressed, and the discouraged, and the fearful. And when it's a pretty woman, not because of loss, but just because of the way things work, you are going to be vulnerable to entering into doing things for her to comfort her, which will lead you into adultery. And let me tell you, that woman knows precisely where your vulnerability is in this, and she is happy to play the role of the helpless damsel, okay? Sexual sin is wicked on the part of women. Wicked. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth that Me Too does not allow anyone to say. There is never 
any relationship of two homosexual men that is victimless. You have a predator and you have a manipulator in every homosexual male homosexual. You have it in lesbian relationships. You have it in fornication. You have it in adultery. There are always moral failures to go around in acts of sexual perversion and sin. Okay? Okay? It does not mean that a daughter who is raped by her father is responsible for that rape and that you blame the victim. That is not what I'm saying. But to force me to be silent about all the realities I've just talked about, because I don't want to blame the victim. And the fact is, some of the most beautiful work that our church has done spiritually has been with children who were molested when they were children and came to the point in that relationship where they realized that they, it was sin and they wanted it to continue. And if you are a shepherd and you heal them falsely by just, nope, 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 you're just a victim, just a victim, just a victim. I'm not going to blame them. I'm not going to blame. You're a girl. You're a girl. You don't have any culpability. You're not a moral agent. No, 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 no. And we don't deal with her sense of failure that when she finally realized that this was wicked and she just kept doing it. How can that be a good shepherd? And so these things require truth in the inward parts. Sex requires truth in the inward parts. And that's the reason earlier, when I was talking about the hackneyed, you know, insane world where, you know, our daughter had her first kiss, you know, and she met him. You know, and people are thinking, what on earth is he doing? Well, I'm mocking it because... The one sure way of causing your children to be abused as they grow up is to lack truthfulness and honesty in the home. The relationship of husband and wife and the children and everything, you know, to have everything hidden that isn't safe. But I'm just sure there's so many people listening right now that are just thinking, okay, great, thanks. God hasn't given me a healthy marriage. God hasn't given me a husband who cares. God hasn't given me a wife who's going to be helpful. God hasn't given me a home that has the fragrance of health to it. I don't have the apparatus to provide for my children what you've said. I'm just going to have to struggle. Maybe I'm a single parent. Maybe I'm this. Maybe I'm that. Who knows? But you've called me primarily in this podcast to health and to chill out in a manner of speaking. And I can't. I can't chill out. I can't be healthy because I'm not. So what am I supposed to do? Well, the first thing that I think you need to do is you need to realize that even in the most healthy homes, in the most sexually healthy environments, in the most chilled out, bad things still happen because we're all sinners. And it's God who protects our children and God can protect your children too. And you need to pray and you need to trust God and you need to seek the helps that you can get in the church and from people around you who love you and care for you and who can help with your children, who can help with your home who can help be a surrogate father to your kids you know if you're a single mom or you know whatever the circumstances are the church exists to help people who are in those situations who are in broken situations and we fail and we do a bad job of it but god can use even that to help protect our kids and god's not so weak and powerless that he can't protect your kids so you need to have faith for that see i think what you just said nathan is exactly the fruit I'm hoping will come from this podcast. To me, that is the perfect fruit that we want from our talking here. 
we want somebody to say, well, I, I'm not chilled out and I don't and I don't, because then you have honesty and weakness. And then you go to God. And then you come to the church and the, the older Titus two women and the pastors. I don't have what it takes. Would you help? And then we're able to say, we say these things to women in our church who are single mothers. Don't freak out. We say this to married mothers with good husbands. Don't freak out. Chill out. Take a chill pill. Okay. I think that God is honored by our weakness. I think a mother who gets done listening to this and says, I'm weak and I'm fearful and I can't chill out about it. What do I do? And Jake says, you pray. That's the beautiful thing. We realize we can't control our children's sexuality. We can't control the husband we've married. We can't control his abdication of his authority and protection over our children. We can't control so many things sexually in our children's lives. If we realize that and plead with God in weakness, there is no better thing to do. I mean, you know, okay, so we did talk about the good inoculating against the evil. And so what you're really saying is there are a lot of people listening here who don't have any good or very little good. And so they feel their children are completely vulnerable, right? That's the modern morbid habit of sacrificing the normal on the altar of the abnormal. And if all we're going to do is come up with triage for all the perversions and all the failures that there are in the church, it's such a wicked thing because it ends up reproducing the very things that we're trying to compensate for. And so we have to say that healthy sexuality and the beauty of a man loving a woman and a father taking control of his home, if we're not going to ever talk about those things because of how it hurts people that don't have them, that's precisely what the church is today. All it ever talks about and gives itself to is compensating for perversion and failure. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Does that make sense to you? That's what I'm thinking as I'm listening to you talk about those people, because those people themselves, you know, the people who listen to us and say, well, wait, I don't have health. I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife who builds. I don't, I don't have this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, so should we not have talked? Well, I think you said the right word, compensation. You either compensate as a church by denying what ought to be and being silent about it, which is what you're talking about now. Yeah, we're all broken. Or you you compensate as a church by affirming everything that we've been saying about love in the home, affirming all of those things and meeting those people who are exceptions and meeting them with faith, not being afraid to tell them what ought to have been or what ought to be, but also meeting them with faith to help them to to compensate. And again, you have compensation either by denying what's true or you have compensating by going headlong right at the problem, which is for you to love the single mom, to bring her into your home, have men in the church, help her with her sons so that they will have a good man to be But not help her with her storm windows. In other words, you have to be careful how you help such (laughs) women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you don't put yourself in a position, but bring them into your home and let them see you relate to your wife. Sure. So much of healing people who have been hurt and who haven't had the good things, is for them to just vicariously participate in the good things that God gives us in the church. Yes. You compensate for what's missing by filling the void with what ought to be in the correct way, so that you, you actually compensate for those who are broken by, by allowing the vitality of your life in Christ at those very points where they're broken to just spill over onto them mm-hmm. in helping them however you can do it. 
Well, I just think there's so few people that God is so kind and he's so generous in giving us what we need. Maybe there's a single mother listening in Siberia that's not near a church Mm -hmm. that, you know, can't get to any help, can't get Mm -hmm. to any health. But actually, that's silly. People have help. I mean, it could be a good baseball coach for some people. And I'm sorry Mm -hmm. that that's not as good Mm -hmm. as a good father. But God does provide fathers for us and he does provide good families for us. I think about my younger brother. My dad left the family when we were in our teenage years. I was already out of the house. But my younger brother was going to church here and he would go to junior high. And this guy that teaches junior high was te- now was teaching it then. And every year when they do junior high and senior high orientation, he tells the story of my mom who would come to the junior high leader and say, hey, my teenage son is uh, struggling with such and such. Can you maybe, can you maybe work this into your lesson? He always tells this to new parents as as people come into the youth group, saying, "Please give me a tip, and I'll I'll work it in." It's what I love to do. I want to help your kids, and I he was help the, you. I want to help you. I wanted to help my mom, mm-hmm. and my mom always was an advocate for her children. That way, she would just go to the leaders, and she would just say, "This is what." I need. She was not the importunate widow. She was the importunate divorcee. Right. <laughs> and I mean, she was relentless. <laughs> yep. Absolutely relentless in being an advocate for her children. And now all three of her boys are walking with the are Lord walking and happily with married. The Lord mm-hmm. And are married to Christian women. And it's unheard of statistically. Yeah. And I don't like, I, I think I have a little bit of authority to say this because I look, I don't come from health. I don't come from anything normal. I don't come from anything healthy. And God provided us the health that we need. He enabled me to live vicariously through other people, as Max was talking about. He gave me those families. And I'm sorry that there are people out there that come from much more broken situations, much more sinful, much more damaged situations than mine was even. But God will give you the things that you need. And when it comes to our uh, mothers who perceive their weakness, the absence of health in growing up, maybe they were harmed by their brothers and uncle, their dad. What we have to remember is that God is the God who restores the heirs to locusts of Mm -hmm. Eden. Mm -hmm. And I take such joy, honestly, from preaching every Sunday in our church and seeing these dear sisters and brothers who've been raped as little kids, who have been molested, who some of them have committed the sins. Uh, Some of them are mothers who didn't protect their daughters, and we have confronted them about this and seen them repent. And the church is always filled with people who don't have any glorious testimony of sexual wholeness as they grew up in a Christian home. And yet, God is restoring the earth, the locusts of Eden. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories like that we have in our church. If I were to just tell one of the stories of a little girl that's growing up in a home that she was not supposed to grow up in, I mean, it would blow people's minds the reasons why that could not be a happy family, that that little girl could not be growing up healthy, that, oh my goodness. I mean, think, David, think of all the stories in our church. So don't despair. Remember Augustine's mother, Monica. Remember that the Apostle Paul tells the one he had nobody like, namely Timothy. He says, you know, I remember the faith of you and your grandmother. 
No mention of a man. And then remember Beth Alberson, Nathan's mother, who is all of our hero. Or heroine, or heroine. Or heroine. Or well, the thing, yeah, the other, opioid. <laughs> <laughs> the epidemic. The other thing I do want to say, I think even there, there's people that will hear what I just said and what you said, Tim, tritely and think, okay, well, if I'm a mother, you know, my mom sinned in the way that she did it. And boy, did I <laughs> sin. And boy, were the, boy, are there consequences in my life, you know, and boy, have I had to work through things. There's no escaping any of this without faith. I think there's some people that will hear, maybe be tempted to say, okay, so if I'm a mom and I'm just an advocate and I go and I I talk to people and I I find the health in the church, then that's the formula that will at last free me from having to worry about all this stuff. prayer and advocacy, but go ahead. Well, that's that's all I wanted to say. There is no formula. There There was, there there was devastating consequences in my life. I didn't get a what god did did not because my mom did a series of correct things save me from all the consequences of what my dad did and of our family falling to pieces the way it did it was serious it was bad and god was good and that's what people have to have faith for no 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 triteness no formulas no doing a b gets you c those consequences are going to continue into your marriage they have they're Can't going confirm. to follow you for for years they are in some measure going to be passed on to your children. Absolutely true. And felt by your kids. But hopefully, if you live by faith, by God's grace, it'll be mitigated a generation. The next generation will be healthier and stronger for it. This is just what it is to be. And it's just the Christian life, right? Christian families. And so I don't want people to not claim God's promises for us and our children. I don't want women who are single to not be importunate in demanding the attention Mm -hmm. of the pastors and elders and their wives for your children that are being raised without a father. I don't want any of us to fail to do that, but all of us must recognize that God is sovereign. And there is no formula because God will not be controlled, not even by a godly, loving, wonderful Christian young mother. You know, who he has put in her breast the the hunger and thirst for the safety of her children, for their well-being and their salvation and everything. But God is God. We are not God. And we can give ourselves to everything, to prayer, to the church, to everything. But we must recognize that God is sovereign over the future of our children, over who they marry. You know, the vulnerability of us watching our children who they marry. I mean, if you're You know, you were 12 years old and your mother could see ahead of time that you were going to marry Meredith. Mm. I mean, do you think she would have allowed you to ever meet that woman? (laughs) That's a joke. That's a joke. Can't confirm. (laughs) I hope Meredith listens so that she hears me say that. Oh, she will. Then Comes What was produced by Nathan Alberson, executive produced like all fine Warhorn products by Jacob Pencil and Nathan Alberson. You can send your questions for us to tcw at warhornmedia.com. That's tcw at warhornmedia.com. Please send us your questions. We would like to answer them. 